Experts say behind the scenes, key parts of the nation's infrastructure system are at a breaking point. Infrastructure today cannot meet the needs of the digital economy tomorrow. 5G, driverless cars, sustainable cities, broadband access to all. How are all these breakthrough technologies even possible if the underlying foundation itself is so weak. Most of the investment, especially in water and wastewater, took place in the 1940s and 50s following World War II. So it's coming end of life, and a lot of cities and municipalities simply don't have the money to invest in their infrastructure. They're busy funding pensions, and they're busy with firefighters, police officers, building schools, all the important things that cities have to do. Infrastructure has been neglected far too long. The easiest way to actually get a slowing economy going again is for the government to put people to work. Let's build wireless networks in the rural communities so everybody can tap into world markets. Let's put construction back, workers back to work. Investing in roads, bridges, broadband, improving our electrical grid can go a long way to building a more efficient and sustainable modern society. A $1 trillion infrastructure plan to build new roads and bridges and airports and tunnels and highways and railways all across our great nation. Just ask the residents of the cities in Texas and Portland that did not have access to electricity for almost a week. We are continuing to monitor the fallout from winter storms that swept across Texas, of course, derailing the energy grid. It just shows how bad it could be living in a place which lacks high-speed internet or access to clean water. Millions without power for days during one of, if not the worst storms in Texas history. Poor infrastructure dramatically impacts your daily life, and the systems are long overdue for a resurgence. It's a once-in-a-generation investment in America, unlike anything we've seen or done since we built the interstate highway system and the space race decades ago. It's the largest American jobs investment since World War II. It's big, yes. It's bold, yes, and we can get it done. Welcome to THC, where we unpack the ever-changing technology economy. Hang out with Jed, Shikar, and Adrian as we tackle the industries of tomorrow. This is Things Have Changed. Think about the infrastructure in the U.S. and like in Western countries, it, it seems like everything's good, everything's nice. The roads are nice, especially when you've come from uh, you know a developing country like the Philippines. Like we we don't have the same infrastructure as the U.S. So when I came here, everything seemed like beautiful. The roads are massive. You know, like we have you have clean water. Drinking water from the tap, you guys have no idea how much that's a, a privilege that shit yeah, is. Yeah, because is. Would, would we, you cannot even drink some water in restaurants in the Philippines and they serve that shit to you. And they'll give you the option. They'll say, you want a, you want a cup of water or do you want a bottle? Because they know you might get sick. No, seriously. Like, it's such a crazy thing to think about. But, you know, the, the reason why all this conversation about infrastructure is coming up, right, <laughs> is because there is another bill that's coming out of of uh congress right now that relates solely to infrastructure and it's been on the news you've probably have seen it a couple of times where people are either talking shit about it or uh, <laughs> talking about all the great things that it can accomplish right it's a two trillion dollar plan 
that's uh, that's going to essentially revitalize our economy. What does that even mean? Two trillion, bro. Like, what does it even mean? <laughs> what revitalization? Because no, yeah. trillion, <laughs> yeah, no, trillion. Two trillion dollars. So, I mean, to put it in perspective, right? We actually spend a lot of money already, like on a yearly basis, you know, on on not infrastructure related projects, but we we spend a lot on on a yearly basis, you know. So, if you think about defense versus non defense spending, right? That's four trillion dollars a year. So, like two two trillion doesn't seem like a ridiculous amount, but it does for something that goes on top of the already four trillion dollars that we're going to spend. You know what I mean? Like, that's why this is so controversial. That's why this is on the news is, you know, it, a lot of contention from both sides um, of the house. And there is always, there has been all this spending during the coronavirus pandemic that, you know, another 2 trillion, everybody's like, shit, we spent a lot of money recently. Right. So that's why we're having this conversation today is to talk about, you know, the, the current infrastructure bill that's coming out. Um, so like, to start, like we we just kind of got into how um, I thought personally coming to the United States was kind of amazing because I I immediately saw what the effects of good infrastructure looks like, right? How you can drink straight from the tap, how you can get on the roads without too many cracks, you know, depending on where you are in the country. Um, have infrastructure for internet, like having strong internet wherever you go in your city. That is a privilege. Let me repeat that. That is a privilege. <laughs> you've, I'm sure you've been to a different country where you're like, shit. You know, it is, it is a privilege, but it's often something that's not really discussed today in politics. I mean, if we think about um, the last massive infrastructure deal that has come out when was that it's been decades yo there's a lot of small projects coming from state and local cities but if you think about like from national spending perspective it's been a long time right like post-world war ii we had a lot of um infrastructure spending but to the politicians of today infrastructure spending is just something that's not very popular but why though yeah, I, I feel like they, they see it as unnecessary because they always have their agendas. There's always other uh, topics that are more forefront. Um, you know, we in the past, right now we're going through a pandemic. So they're just trying to g- deal with this jolt in the con. They're trying to jolt back the economy um, with jobs being lost. Then throughout the pandemic, we had Black Lives Matter. So that was on the forefront of their agenda. And infrastructure is just not sexy <laughs> no one sees it as oh wow like i think this president is forward thinking because he's spending on infrastructure people kind of take it for granted and because like you mentioned it's a priv- it's a privilege people feel like it's uh you know they've they've grown up with it so their norm the norms are you know i expect high-speed internet i expect my roads to be paved and um but we're starting to see cracks you know, people physically, are starting to realize. Physically see cracks, yes. On the road. Yeah. <laughs> physically. And on the bridges. road. And, and bridges. bridges. If you're from the Bay, I mean, sheesh, you, you probably saw the old Bay Bridge get destroyed and a new one get constructed, right? Quite quite recently in the past, like, five years. So it, it's it's fascinating to see, but there are a lot of problems, even in first world countries, even in uh, very developed nations that have, you know, crazy infrastructure relative to where we've you know been in the past me and shikar coming from uh india and the philippines right the base case here in developing countries is pretty good itself 
But the thing is, and that results in them not really investing a whole lot in it for a while. And then you realize, hey, these things, everything degrades over time. So things are falling apart in many regions. Um, so, and COVID, you know, we speak a lot about change over here and a common theme seems to be COVID like everything else in the world right now. But what was interesting is like to maintain roads and bridges and highways and um, airports and stuff, you need revenues coming in. Who generates that revenue? Your toll, when you're driving through tro- tolls, that's revenue. The taxes that you pay traveling, uh, flying, that pays for um, your airports. You know, y- y- there's a lot of, du- uh, you know, during the pandemic, people sat at home, people didn't travel a whole lot, revenues got shot, and now all these big transportation networks are facing huge cuts, huge cuts. New York subways, Washington, um, San Francisco, Boston, all of these cities that have decent transportation networks are like underwater. They need help from the government to actually inject some capital into their, you know, faltering um, system right now. It'd be a good time to dive into what this infrastructure plan uh, makes, what's made up of it. You know, how is it uh, divided? I think in the past we did this with uh, the COVID, uh, CARES, the CARES Act, the CARES Build, and kind of understanding the components of it, how it all comes together, where's the money going towards, and um, yeah, just how it's made up. And so, so how, how can we expect this infrastructure bill to revitalize our economy, and will it, based on how the economy is set up now versus how it was uh, set up, you know, 20, 30, 60 years ago when the new deal came out. Um, so, so kind of high level, uh, you know, 42% of it's towards traditionally recognized infrastructure uh, parts. Uh, this includes transportation. So roads, bridges, uh, water. So um, there's a big issue. We still have lead-based pipes. And so they really want to focus on creating more access to clean water in communities that still don't have access, like Flint. Um, and, and it's been a big issue, hasn't been addressed. They've tried to get creative in certain ways. But, you know, at the end of the day, we need a good infrastructure for communities to just depend on basic human needs of clean water. And so that's the traditional infrastructure aspect, 42%. Within that that infrastructure piece, beyond the traditional uh, routes of investment for infrastructure, we're, we're also building some some new pieces that you know we haven't seen in bills in the past for infrastructure, right? Like the idea of investing in sustainability. So what does that look like? Like right now, um, climate change has been the top of, of our list for topics, right? We always talk about climate change and, and what it's doing to our, our, li- our normal everyday lives, right? So this infrastructure bill also uh, focuses a little bit on sustainability. Environmentalists see uh, infrastructure as a crucial path to kind of solve a lot of, uh, a lot of our climate problems, and it's always included in climate agendas. Right. Um, so this is a really bold uh, plan, including um, 
climate change initiatives, right? One really huge thing that stuck out to me about the the electric vehicles piece um, of the sustainability is we're putting in $174 billion into the infrastructure essentially of, of electric cars, right? So what does that mean? Like we have charging, new charging stations in certain areas, right? Um, if you're an electric car owner, right? Some of the things that you will have in your decision points is, am I going to be able to to charge my vehicle in certain areas, right? Some people make the decision not to get an electric vehicle, not because they don't give a shit about the, the climate, right? Um, it's because they don't have access to infrastructure that will make it easy for them to have electric cars, right? Quite simply enough. In California, it's actually pretty normal now to have um, an electric vehicle. There are Tesla charging stations everywhere if it's a Tesla. And there's also those other, you know, California-sponsored electric charging stations. And so that needs to exist for the rest of the country to be able to adapt um, or to adopt electric vehicles, right? And now we have, we just talked about how how these massive legacy automobile companies investing in in electric cars. Well, how how are they going to service all those electric vehicles? We need the infrastructure for that. Yeah. Ford just came out with the the truck, the Lightning F-150, which is a huge, just 180 for them because they've been just one of the biggest uh, advocates of, uh, you know, in the past, GM, Ford, Chrysler, the big three back in the day, they were big proponents of the New Deal, actually, you know, the infrastructure bill. They really lobbied hard for the government to create these roads, to to have oil companies build gas stations, to have access to that, um, and to really push for that. And now they're just pivoting completely um, from their new old ways and going electric because they have to. You know, they're going to get eaten right. up by other competition uh, if they don't pivot. And so they're going to start investing into infrastructure. Um, and then we're also going to see rebates uh, reintroduced. They still have them for some electric uh, vehicle cars uh, that are U.S.-based, I believe. Right. Um, but they're going to revitalize these rebates that you get from purchasing an electric vehicle car made in America. So they're really trying to focus on our economy, putting prioritizing that and incentivizing uh, us consumers to purchase within America so that we can boost our economy um, the most. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's not just like for your normal average consumer cars, like we're going to replace like 50,000 um, diesel transit vehicles uh, that could be buses. Oh, great. So even the yellow school buses for school, this is the stat that they put out is that, that they want to electrify 20% of yellow school buses. Those buses that are picking up the kids from school, they'll be exposed to electric vehicles so early, you know, in their life. And this is massive, right? If we're thinking about transitioning into the electric vehicle market, we can't just think about the private space. Like obviously the government has to put in investments into yeah. that. And that's, that's a big play for um, getting more rail into it. And I think that's that's probably going to have the biggest net impact just because, you know, you electrify rails and you um, partner up with Amtrak to kind of build a broader rail road network. You know, that helps everyone because just think about it. And it's something that is so weird to me because having lived on the East Coast, like everything, Boston is connected to New York, two hours, three hours away. But there's an entire Eastern corridor and people use it like crazy, right? On the West, you have two of the biggest cities on the planet, San Francisco, Los Angeles. And you can't, there is not a single 
rail train that runs between two of the biggest cities, which are just five hours away by car. So it, it takes right now, if you have to actually go by rail from LA to San Francisco, it's a 24-hour journey where you have to do multiple stops and it's it's whack. Um, so like actually building rail helps a lot to just, people are not going to drive a whole lot if there's actually reliable railways taking you from one point to another, especially big cities. Yeah. And uh, in, in the past, I've, I've heard of, you know, green new deals where they're trying to invest in green energy, solar, wind, um, trying to make every, uh, get rid of coal and just live in a cleaner uh, community. But something that I, I, I noticed that I didn't really see in this infrastructure bill was you know, we're building all of this charging stations for these electric cars. We're improving the roads, but where are we getting this electricity when we have all these electric cars on the road? I, I didn't see any any spending or investment into solar or wind or, you know, cleaning up the way we create electricity, which I think could be an issue. Uh, even though they're investing in infrastructure, it's going to put a strain on the electric grid, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's another thing that the, the the problem with with massive bills like this is that they can't get too specific, right? When they're putting it out there, and and that th- these are going to be one of the holes that that you know they need to address as they think about how much they're actually going to accomplish. But yeah, that's that's a valid point. So I mean, yeah, we have a pretty complex case. We have thirty three hundred sixty million people in this country. Yeah, that's a massive population, and the average median age is still around thirty eight, thirty nine, right? Like that hasn't changed much in the past. But investing in this, I don't know if we can justify it. Like we don't have that aging aging population problem as Japan. You know what I mean? Where we're just losing the younger population that pays mostly for what comes into the retirements of these older people. So I don't know how we justify that. <laughs> Sorry, I just want to cover home healthcare workers real quick because this is a huge thing in my community, right? Filipinos. Um, a lot of the the Filipinos I've met in the United States work in home care services. What does that mean? Like people who, let's say, um, are in their like 80s and 90s and are like close to death, they will be living in a in a care home. You know, you you hear something that you don't really hear in, in other countries and in the Philippines, for example, we don't put our elderly in homes, right? In the US, that was the first time I experienced actually people put their elderly in, in homes, right? They're, they're going to put them there until they pass away. And a lot of the people who work there are Filipino. So I know a lot of these Filipinos who own these businesses, right, that are all about taking care of um, elderly people. And because the funding is so low for that from the government and you don't make a lot of money uh, because they can't pay out too much for on a monthly basis to stay in these fancy places, right? It's really cheap to live in, in home care homes. And so the, the people that work there are typically underpaid, right? So a crazy stat that I saw about home care workers is that one in six um, home health care workers live in poverty, bro. In the US, okay? This is in the United States. I'm not talking about some third world country. So like, that's that's fascinating to me, but also really sad that um, there's this industry where, you know, it's 
typically near to a nurse's job, right? Of taking care of somebody. Um, and you're living in poverty. So that's fascinating. So I, I think, I don't know what the, their solution is to, to, to putting money into this industry, but hopefully it's just to raise the minimum yeah. wage right now. Uh, and we also spoke about semis a lot, right? We've covered semis a lot. Investment in manufacturing has been so low over the past few decades. Um, so they are really trying to get that whole system set up and moving again. Um, you know, a lot of manufacturing was outsourced to Asia from um, the United States. And when you do that, you actually lose the know-how to build further. And that's when that's how you see, you know, South Korea, Japan, China, the boom of Asian countries is directly correlated to the movement of manufacturing and infrastructure out there, right? So one big thing that they're bringing is $400 billion for um, manufacturing that inclusive of R&D as well. So manufacturing uh, specifically was, you know, um, let's go out there and create um, projects that is going to further us with regards to medical response, medical manufacturing, shore up the nation's ability to, you know, uh, safeguard ourselves and counter a future outbreak. And also semis, because, you know, like we discussed in our semis episode, everything runs on chips. So you got to be able to, when the supply chains are at risk, you got to be able to somehow fulfill the demand that we're seeing. So there's a lot of good things coming up that are tabled as part of this bill, you know, but I, w- I would look at it as largely a climate bill that has other supporting uh, infrastructure aspects that, you know, might help moving, might help move the needle um, to where we need to be if um, uh, we are going to that digital economy that everyone talks about, you know, where you have smart cities, you have efficient buildings, efficient uh, waterways, yeah, and, and another interesting thing about, I guess, you know, you, you mentioned the R&D piece is that um, historically, like, the investments in, in R&D will uh, naturally go to, like, some, quote-unquote, high-end universities and some private universities that have led certain R&D efforts for, you know, certain industries. Princeton's, the Harvard's, you know, the, the massive, the Berkeley's, like the massive institutions um, that have been doing R&D for very niche parts of the economy to develop, you know, certain expertise in these areas. And so one thing that I found interesting about this bill is that um, R&D investments from the government will actually go into historically black colleges and other minority serving institutions so that it gives the opportunity for these institutions to actually participate in the next wave of of innovations towards um, our new industries, right? Let's say we build a uh, uh, semiconductor manufacturing beast in the U.S., let's say, um, with this infrastructure bill, right? Then the the historically black colleges and the minority-serving institutions may be able to play a part in developing that new technology and may shift the balance of um, opportunity when it comes to universities. So that was a breakdown of the infrastructure bill, you know, what it's made up of and what it's designed to do. It, it goes beyond just infrastructure. It, it includes parts that 
are designed to help those that haven't had equal pay, haven't had equal opportunities. And it's in an economy that's different than what we lived in 20, 30 years ago. And it makes us ask the question, will it work? In our next episode, we're going to cover on how this infrastructure is going to be paid for, why why these bills are so important to our economy, and the effects that they have in the long run to us consumers and citizens. Hey, thanks so much for listening to our show this week. You could subscribe to us. And if you're feeling generous, well, you could even leave us a review. Trust me, it goes a long, long way. You could also follow THC at THC underscore pod on Twitter and LinkedIn. This is Things Have Changed. Things Have Changed.